0: In the beginning of Summa Contagentiles, St. Thomas Aquinas remarks that, according to the philosopher, that is, uh, Aristotle, the wise man orders, quote, things rightly and governs them well, end quote. To do this, the wise man needs to pay attention to the proper goal of his activity, that is, the good toward which he is to order things. This means that there can be wise politicians, carpenters and philologists. But Aquinas has primarily in mind quote the absolute wise man simpliciter sapiens who both queries the origin of the universe and its end with other words god moreover the absolute wise man not only contemplates the nature of god the ultimate source and truth of the universe but has even the highest theoretical wisdom in the aristotelian sense of sophia as a practical ordering dimension it is also proper for such a person to teach truth and oppose falsehood, in other words, to be a teacher. Toward the end of the first chapter of Summa Gentiles, named The Office of the Wise Man, Aquinas returns to his introductory quote from Proverbs, quote, My mouth shall meditate truth and my lips shall hate impiety, end quote. Aquinas interprets impiety, impietas, as, quote, falsehood against the divine truth, end quote, and its opposite. Piety, he writes, is another word for religion. The absolute wise person is therefore in the business of ordering religion towards its proper goal, the origin and end of the universe, God. As a result, besides the mistaken views of heretics, the Christian wise man, according to Aquinas, has to oppose the errors of Jews, Gentiles and Muslims, that is, all non-Christian religions. In refuting the latter two, he has to use natural reason as they accept neither the Old nor the New Testament. And this is the philosophical task. This philosophical task is the fundamental errand of Summa Conta Gentiles. Moreover, the quest for an ordering of knowledge in relation to ultimate wisdom brings, brings with it a joyous union of, quote, man to God in friendship, end quote. As God, the creator, made everything in wisdom, that is, as ordered to himself, the supreme being in truth. To pursue wisdom thus divinizes man. However, my business today is not simply to deepen our understanding of the Thomist spirituality of higher wisdom, but to prove the possibility of a Catholic religious studies inspired by Aquinas' approach in Book One of Summa Conta Gentiles. My main question is, therefore, whether the office of the wise man is compatible with, or at least complementary to, the idea and practice of religious studies. Or if a Catholic religious studies must do without absolute wisdom and settle for a lower level goal, such as ordering the relations between the diverse religious traditions of global society with the goal of harmonious coexistence. In that case, the spirituality of the scholar turns from divinization to humanization. But in what sense would such studies be Catholic? One defining feature of most contemporary religious studies is its disregard of absolute wisdom in the sense of stretching toward an ultimate spiritual origin and goal of human life. Instead, scholars of religious studies investigate in detail particular myths, rituals and social functions of religious organizations. That is, religious studies wants to settle more mundane questions than those central in natural and dogmatic theology. The popularity of interdisciplinary approaches such as material religion, lived religion, and everyday religion, illustrates well this tendency of directing the analytical gaze toward the earth and not the Empyrean heaven. This is quite different from the earlier, openness toward epiphanies of transcendence, or the holy or the sacred, and is connected with, or at least parallel to, the waning since the 1990s of the phenomenology of religion, especially as it was practiced by the influential Romanian historian of religions, Mircea Eliade, who died in 1986. Moreover, not only is the focus currently on human religiosity understood as culture, But the main research paradigms of religious studies reject, as a matter of principle, explanations transcending the material world. In other words, their foundation is naturalism. Of course, the understanding of naturalism, what role it should play, varies. Still, the present strength of a strict understanding of naturalism, modeled on the natural sciences that the cognitive study of religion promotes, and the antagonistic but similarly mundane Concerns of power and equality in critical culture studies in line with emancipatory agendas have made naturalism dominant in religious studies. Sometimes uh, the naturalism operative in religious studies is explicitly ontological. Sometimes it is more modestly formulated as a methodological principle. In the first case... It rests on the belief that only material substances exist. A transcendent God, together with major and minor deities, ancestors, souls and demons, are only human constructions with no spiritual reference. In the case of methodological naturalism or methodological atheism, atheism or agnosticism, Religious studies does not explicitly negate the actual existence of spiritual beings, but the fundamental assumption is that we at least cannot have any clear knowledge of the gods or their actions. And if they do exist, they probably do not interfere in the human world in any significant way. The result is therefore the same. One studies religions as wholly man-made and as operating solely within a material universe. Maybe there is a supernatural surplus remaining after all scholarly work, but about that, the methodological naturalist insists, we cannot know, only believe. For Aquinas' project in Summa Conte and Thiele, such a rejection of metaphysics is devastating, which he acknowledges. Quote, for if we do not demonstrate that God exists, all considerations of divine things is necessarily suppressed. End quote. What then remains is fideism, an irrational leap of faith, and the logical arguments of his Summa cannot be more than a play with words. The opposition between the office of the absolute wise man and the scholar of religious studies therefore seems radical, and unsurmountable. In order to explore the possibility of a Catholic religious studies, despite the chasm separating naturalism and supernaturalism, I think we need to approach it, as Aquinas did with natural theology, from the perspective, perspective of wisdom. Even if there are scholars, such as Donald Weeb, who argue that religious studies should be purely descriptive Uh, should be a purely descriptive and explanatory science, only laying bare the unvarnished truth of religions. Religious studies has always been part of attempts at regulating social life towards its proper ultimate good, as variously imagined. In fact, I would like to make a case for the position of Aquinas that the theoretical understanding of religion is part of the practical business of ordering piety in accordance with the truths discovered or presumed a priori. To begin with, studies of religion are founded and financed based on certain knowledge interests, either of the secular state or of organizations in civil society, for example, churches and they often serve to educate teachers or religious specialists. Moreover, the knowledge produced is used for, and the scholars themselves acted as expert in, the regulation of religion in the public sphere. However, despite uh, the study of religion being part of larger value-based institutions, one may maintain that this does not rule out that it, like physics or chemistry, can have a purely truth centered core, which should be the same as regards methods and theories, irrespective of ideological interests. But an important difference between physics and religious studies is that declaring the material of physics to be matter or energy does not violate the beliefs of a majority of human beings, while, on the other hand, to understand and treat religion as if no supernatural entities exist, does. The physical world will continue continue to function in the same manner, irrespective of different physical theories. In the case of religion and society, this is highly unlikely, as it concerns human behavior and its ultimate goal. To deny rationality to religious beliefs, and thereby to the practices they inform, is also to undermine them, at least implicitly and to propose that the rational ordering of society should not proceed in accordance with such beliefs. If supernatural entities are beyond the reach of human rationality, and all revelations can be satisfactorily explained by natural causes, then this has profound consequences for the affirmation of truth and the rejection of false beliefs, that is, the ordering that is an integral part of teaching. To say otherwise would be to accept lies as ordering principles of social life and therefore also ultimately of universities as they are not isolated islands. The study of religion therefore inescapably proceeds from value-saturated knowledge interests and have consequences for religions as astronomy has for astrology. If one presumes that the highest rationally Justified entity no longer is God, but society. Then the knowledge expanded and reflected upon by religious studies is part of the wisdom of a society worshipping itself. One of the most famous examples of this is the theory of religion formulated by the French sociologist Emile Durkheim, who died in 1917, and who was born into a Jewish family and was supposed to carry on a long line of rabbis. But who lost his faith and instead became a champion of secular science. In his influential book, The Elementary Forms of Religious Life, published in 1912, he writes quote, The sacred principle is nothing more or less than society transfigured and personified. It is real only insofar as it has a place in human consciousness. End quote. In other words, What the scholar of religious studies, in this case more precisely sociology of religion, analyses are actually civil religions embellished by supernatural mythology. The anticipated uh, gradual withering away of religions nevertheless worried Durkheim and other pioneering scholars of the study of religion something they thought needed to take the place of religion and fulfill its specific unifying function for society, thereby integrating individuals into a collective. Otherwise, the citizens, when waking up from the illusion of supernaturalism, might reject the moral community necessary for social cohesion. Someone, therefore, had to formulate a new form of highest wisdom, combining scientific truth with values, thereby integrating a mass of individuals into a people, a nation, and ultimately a unified humanity. This line of thought began already in the 18th 18th century. The impetus was toward a religion in which the people or humanity worshiped itself, either directly or indirectly through its representative the revolutionary movement, the party, or the great leader. Duques speculated about this coming truly modern religion. Quote, There is something eternal in religion which is destined to survive all the particular symbols in which religious thought has successively enveloped itself. In a word, the old gods are growing old or are already dead and others are not yet born. This is why man has become a god for man and why and it is why he can no longer turn to other gods without being untrue to himself." End quote. This cult of man, of humanity or the individual, was Durkheim, Durkheim believed, quote, "the only system of beliefs which can ensure the moral unity of the country." End quote. Importantly, religious studies was born and has since lived in the shadow of this dream of a radically modern worldview that will give birth to a universal moral and ritual community, supplanting the traditional dogmatic theist religions. Sometimes this took hard forms, such as Marxist materialism, which tried to expose and eradicate supernaturalism and religion altogether, Sometimes it came as with Doricain in softer forms, as the ideal of a global religion of human fraternity, resting on a set of hallowed values derived from the inherent dignity of the human person. In the liberal democracies of the West, the expectation is presently that religious studies will contribute to the latter vision by investigating the fabric of religious plurality with the view of mutual tolerance and at the same time highlighting the moral unity underlying all the complex systems of dogma and the many colorful ritual uh, traditions. In current introductory religious studies textbooks, the future of religion is therefore sometimes portrayed as that of non-dogmatic spiritualities flourishing after the decline of institutionalized religion, a similar a vision similar to that of Ducan. It's a variation on the secularization theme, but when religion withers away, globalized spiritualities gain ground. The textbook, Religion and Globalization, World Religions in Historical Perspective, published by Oxford University Press in 2007, champions a similar type of wisdom Its introductions of religions are set into a framework proposing a postmodern religious attitude fitting for the globalized world. We are, they they write, living in a time of radical relativism, standing on the threshold of a truly postmodern era. In distinction to fundamentalists and modernists, the authors state, postmodernists value plurality and pass over into the faiths of others partaking of their, quote, spiritual wisdom, end quote, and then return enriched to to their own traditions. Together with Martin Luther King and Leo Tolstoy, Mahatma Gandhi, with his, quote, new age spiritual practice, end quote, is the hero of the uh, postmodern option. And the authors invite the, the students to embark on a similar journey through the world's religions today. Even if many forms of religious studies are explicitly atheist or strictly methodologically naturalist, there have been, and still are, particularly within comparative religion and history religions, traditions of supernatural wisdom. The important point to understand when discussing a Catholic religious studies is is that also these are thoroughly modern and therefore fits nicely, despite some clashes with the vision of a religion of humanity, but with an added spiritual and perhaps ritual dimension. Most positions within religious studies that are open to transcendence focus not on human reason, but on pre-rational traits supposedly common to all religions. Instead of dogmas, the interest is typically in interior mystical experiences interpreted as evidence of a unitary spiritual substrate lying behind the bewildering plurality of ritual texts and prayers. Consequently, such forms of natural religion rely, as the empirical sciences, on human experiences, and not, at least explicitly, on metaphysics. This openness to transcendence within religious studies comes in two major versions, the esoteric and the modernist Christian. The wisdom of the Theosophical Society, founded in 1875 in New York, and similar movements rests on the premise that all religions contain hidden grains of spiritual knowledge, and that with a comparative method and access to some unique revelations, One can recover this lost ancient wisdom. It is therefore no surprise that Western esotericism was a crucial inspiration for the first World Parliament of Religions in Chicago in 1893, initiated by the Swedenborgian Charles Bonney, who died in 1903. In 1895, when looking back to the World Parliament of Religions two years earlier, Bonney wrote, quote, In a certain high and representative sense, the Parliament of Religions was an exemplification of monism in religion. For it showed that with all the differences in the forms of religion, there is nevertheless something underlying them all, which constitutes an incorruptible and indestructible bond of brotherhood, which, like a golden cord, binds all the races of men in one grand fraternity of love and service, end quote. This idea of a spiritual and ethical brotherhood resurfaces now and then within the study of mysticism in the form of perennialism, that is, the belief in a type of transcultural mystical experience, for example, in the notion of a pure consciousness event formulated by Robert Foreman. In harmony with Ducane's idealized sacred individual, the transcendent principle is a deified modern subject, a cosmic self who constructs both individuality and the world. The goal is to rest in the self-awareness of pure subjectivity. For example, on the final pages of his textbook, Comparing Religions, Jeffrey Kreipel, professor of philosophy and religious thought at Rice University in the United States, indicates his own understanding of religion and mysticism as ultimately relying on the self, with a capital S. The principle behind all experiences who constructs the individual human persons in the interaction with human bodies. Kreipel suggests that the brain functions like a filter channeling the absolute self, quote. It seems more likely that the human personality is created from the interaction of the energy of consciousness and the biological TV that is a human being. It is as if the cosmos evolved a biological organism to broadcast and watch itself." Quote. And as usual, the final lines of the book point to the spirituality of the future. Quote, we might imagine a future form of consciousness becoming aware of not, not just more and more culture and more and more cognition, but of consciousness itself," end quote. A similar perennialist premise informed some earlier forms of comparative religion, often under the name of the phenomenology of religion that emerged within the post-Kantian world of liberal Protestantism. The Lutheran theologian and scholar of comparative religion, Rudolf Otto, who died in 1937, famously formulated such a unitary principle in his book, The Idea of the Holy, published in 1917. He made the holy, or the numinous, an impersonal divine power primary and the idea of a personal God secondary. The human response in relation to this completely different reality is, according to Otto, awe and fear mingled with fascination. Such transformative experiences constitute the origin of religion and are present in all religions, especially in the mystical traditions, forming, according to a kind of fundamental revelation underlying all dogmas. My reason for bringing up these different wisdom discourses that have influenced religious studies, the secular humanist, the esoteric, and the Christian modernist, was to show that Aquinas' understanding of truth as naturally involving teaching with its affirmation and denials and an ordering of human life also applies to religious studies. The principal challenge for Catholic religious studies is therefore not that of reconciling a value-neutral scientific study with a normative theological one but to take a stand vis-à-vis the rejection of metaphysics and the ensuing relativism as regards knowledge of the divine and fundamental moral principles. In its different forms, ontological or methodological, naturalism gives rise to particular modern forms of wisdom, sometimes materialist, sometimes spiritual, but with common characteristics. This means that a Catholic religious studies cannot simply import theories and methods from its secular counterpart in order to complement Catholic theology. The question is then how to proceed from the realization of the interconnection between wisdom and the study of religion to the principles of a truly Catholic religious studies. If we continue with Aquinas as our guide, The first principle is not simply that of supernaturalism, but the position that human reason can gain knowledge about God's existence and some of his qualities. Thomas Aquinas acknowledged that, quote, some truths about God exceed all the ability of the human reason, end quote. But he maintained, quote, there are some truths which the natural reason also is able to reach, end quote. This provides a foundation for a rational critique of beliefs and puts a limit on the sharing between religions as it judges some di- ideas of the divine to be false, which therefore ought to be corrected. Moreover, in contrast to the implicit liberal ethics presumed by most versions of religious studies, Aquinas argues, though not in Summa Gentiles that there are fundamental moral principles knowable by human reason, that is, natural law. This ought, therefore, if we follow Aquinas, be the ethical foundation for a conversation about and between religions. The disturbing alternative is otherwise that, after having acknowledged the inevitable value-oriented nature of religious studies, that one must admit there is no rational way of knowing which these values should be. They are then simply the outcome of choice, and ultimately rests on power and preferences. Instead, Atomi's position insists on the, that the good, as a transcendental, is coextensive with being. The reach of our knowledge, therefore, gives rise to variants of wisdom, because, quote, no one tends with desire and zeal towards something that is not already known to him, end quote. If we either deny the existence of the supernatural or claim that it's completely beyond the reach of human reason, then, as a matter of course, individuals and society will order their lives toward what we actually can know. This means that the Catholic religious studies will be animated by a quite different type of wisdom compared with secular forms of religious studies, even if it does not use revelation as a primary source for its arguments. Nevertheless, one could claim that this optimism regarding human rationality in natural theology and natural law applies only to a Thomas position and not to a Catholic one as such. In response, we must acknowledge that the Catholic Church has affirmed at its highest dogmatic level the possibility of rational knowledge of God, as uh, as the First Vatican Council declared, quote, the same Holy Mother Church holds and teaches that God, the source and end of all things, can be known with certainty from the consideration of created things, by the natural power of human reason. Ever since the creation of the world, His invisible nature has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made." End quote. And this was affirmed, for example, in 1994 by the Catechism, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In in probing the idea of uh, Catholic religious studies, we therefore cannot reject the so-called preambles of faith without having to question also the teaching authority of the Church, which is not part of this present exercise. Furthermore, the principle of the non-contradiction of truth connects religious studies with uh, theology, even if a Catholic study of religions, as religious studies in general, does not base itself upon a divine revelation of truths, unable, unavailable to human reason, it cannot contradict those and stay, uh, stay Catholic. In Summa Conte Antilles, uh, 171, Aquinas wrote, writes, quote, Since, therefore, only the false is opposed to the true, as is clearly evident from an examination of their definitions, it is impossible that the truth, truth of faith should be opposed to those principles that the human reason knows naturally. End quote. In other words, what is true in, the stu- in a study of religions cannot be false in dogmatic theology and vice versa. Either the first or the second must change, or both of them that theological opinions, for example, in the theology of religions, change is no principal problem, for example, by adjusting to the expanding knowledge of the world's religions, both in history and in the contemporary world. However, what the Catholic Church has declared solemnly as binding on the conscience of Catholics cannot be contradicted without undermining the Catholicity of uh, that form of religious studies. The Catholic ideal of a harmonious unity between natural and revealed knowledge, between nature and grace, is of course not a goal towards which a secular study of religion strives, as it would make it confessional and blunt its critical edge. While on the other hand, this ideal provides a Catholic religious studies with its particular character and uh, mission. With the clarification of the basic principles of a truly Catholic religious studies comes also an understanding of the difficulty involved in their realization. In the high Middle Ages, when Thomas Aquinas wrote Summa Conte Antiles, the overarching wisdom of society was Christian and thereby supernaturally oriented. The university, even if at times rocked by Theological disputes was an institution within this wider social reality. Today, on the other hand, religious studies is set within the context of multi-religious secular societies and powerful globalization processes. The guiding liberal or totalitarian wisdom traditions of this world builds on the relativization of religious truth claims which transforms religions into lifestyle choices, subordinated to the goal of social coherence and unity, resting on a transcultural moral platform necessary for peaceful coexistence. Due to its fundamental principles, a Catholic religious studies inevitably disturbs such a vision that exalts solidarity and social coherence as absolutes. The present countercultural nature of a Catholic religious studies therefore makes it hard to envisage its institutional home. As also Catholic universities to a large degree have embraced postmetaphysical foundation a post-metaphysical foundation for the study of religions even when universities specialize in Catholic theology or even Thomism the resources and commitment necessary for a comparative and theoretically strong discipline of religious studies, with its historical, philological, and cultural studies components make it mostly low priority. It is also important to point out that the form of Catholic religious studies that I've discussed in this talk is not a form of interreligious studies or its application into religious dialogue. Instead, it focuses on religion itself, not only on the interactions between religious traditions, and see critique as an integral part of scholarship. It lifts, for example, developments such as the parallel phenomena of increasing de-Christianization and growth of alternative spiritualities in Western societies, including the overwhelming presence of the latter spiritualities in popular culture. It discusses religious radicalization and terrorism, besides social integration. In this way, it is as disruptive as constructive. The twofold wisdom of of a teacher includes, after all, both affirmation and denial, animated as much by a love of truth as by a hatred of falsehood and lies. In combination with the natural theology as unfolded in Summa Conte Antiles, this zeal makes progressive sanctification, the divinization of the scholar, integral to the work also of religious studies. As Aquinas writes quote, Now the rule of government and order for all things directed to an end must be taken from the end. For since the end of each thing is its good, a thing is then best disposed when it is fittingly ordered to its end. End of quote. To choose the end carefully is hence of the essence also in the study of religion, at least if one aspires towards wisdom. To sum up, When looking at religious studies from the perspective of wisdom, inspired by Thomas Aquinas' presentation of the Office of the Wise Man, the particular nature of a Catholic religious studies becomes both clearer and more difficult. On the one hand stands a modernist epistemology dominant in religious studies, in which the divine is completely beyond the grasp of human rationality, or glimpsed, through mystical experiences, as an irrational force or as pure subjectivity. And on the other hand stands the Catholic insistence on a set of truths about God available to human reason. These two give rise to very different types of wisdom. The first is oriented toward human society, national and global, as its highest good while the second directs both studies and society toward God, thereby opening up for divinization as an integral aspect of scholarship. Even the most neutral, objective, and secular of contemporary religious studies is then, by necessity, a form of absolute wisdom. Despite its goal being contingent, fluid, and ever-changing, The true and the good are intertwined concerns that cannot be separated easily, since the limits of reason affirm or deny rationality to religious beliefs and actions, something which has important consequences for the ordering of piety and society. By upholding both the principle of non-contradiction, that is, the unity of knowledge, and the truths of Christian revelation. A Catholic religious study strives strives both strives toward harmony not only with natural theology but also with church teachings. This makes a conversation with both various theological disciplines and relevant disciplines within the humanities and the social sciences necessary, a tall order by any means. However, religious studies in its Catholic version is not, in a simple way at least, a subspecies of a theology of religions, even if there are overlapping concerns. A Catholic study of religion has to investigate also the long history of religious beliefs and practices, both good and evil, their permutations in relation to modernity, and the present situation of religion and globalization. It has to probe the deeper basis for rituals and myths both by empirical research and by the construction of falsifiable theories. One cannot therefore deduce the results of the Catholic religious studies from the principles of dogmatic theology. A the Catholic religious studies is confessional as being part of a larger theological venture, but its re- focus on the rich world of religions and the task of knowing this in detail and with adequate theoretical depth, provides it with a distinct character. For this task, Thomas Aquinas' integration of Aristotelian philosophy and science into his theological system can be an inspiration, especially as it has to struggle with being true, at the same time, to the natural knowledge of the divine, to the task of painstaking research into the history and nature of religions, and to the divine revelation of which the Catholic Church considers herself the caretaker.